Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a great comment, and I'm very happy to read them, so I really appreciate the comments I've been getting lately. Um, even people are even uh, commenting from businesses. They want me to uh, you know, take advantage of their apps for JBL, so... We'll have to look into some of that and see if we can get a JBL app. I doubt it, but we'll see. All right. This is from a uh, person up in the, uh, I guess, mid upper Midwest that has been writing me several times. And uh, she just says, hello, JBL. I just finished listening to JBL's Celebrates 100th program. And it was wonderful. So much information and the program was a whole hour. I don't know how much I managed to miss this gem, but somehow I did. I enjoyed this program so much, I would like to thank you for all the work that you and your staff put into these programs to keep us reading just the best literature. So happy 100th program, and I do look forward to the next 100. Just want you to know that I'm still listening in Illinois. So she's up in Illinois. But it's interesting... uh, I could say to her, we're almost ready for our 200th program. So uh, uh, I'm I'm glad she was able to hear that. And certainly, uh, I know my wife is happy to be on the radio. We have uh, Josh Sloan, who is our producer. He works very hard for us. So uh, you can all, all really appreciate him and what he does for us as well. So, so it's very good to hear and uh, keep listening to all the programs. I know that I was uh, at a concert last night for the Armstrong Auditorium or with the Armstrong Auditorium concert series and there was a couple ladies that uh, knew who I was and knew I'd do JBL and they came up and they were they were just so excited to uh, talk to me about the George Washington program so I was really happy to, to hear that and then they, of course they had a few recommendations they want me to do a Lincoln program and so we'll have to think about that. But we are in the planning stages of uh, what we're going to be doing for the next year. And I have had one meeting about that. Of course, we still have to finish our final book for this series on Lawrence of Arabia. And then I think we have some really special things that we're going to do that, that are probably going to excite you. And then we're going to get back into some real classic literature after that. But anyway, we're just, uh, we're just happy that people are very excited about the program. Well, last time I did discuss uh, George Washington as an architect and a builder. And, of course, I uh, really had plans for kind of laying it all out that way. But now what I want to do is I want to bring Martha Washington back into focus. And the thing is, discussing George Washington as an architect and builder, again, I had a purpose for that because really – George Washington had a clear vision for the colonies. I mean, and he really, he, he really in many ways uh, was very interested in laying a foundation for the American colonies to become a great nation. And, of course, 
I think Martha was really behind him in that, and so it was a joint effort between the two of them. Now, if you look at today, we're taping on a Wednesday, and uh, today is uh, the funeral for our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush. And uh, while Americans are really remembering him, and they're saying so many nice things about him, but I also noticed that they are also remembering his diligent, productive, and supportive wife, Barbara Bush. And uh, it just seems like when when we are in these situations where we're talking about the death of a president or the passing of a president, that we also feel the need to talk about the first ladies and the first wives. And so, so what I think is really unique about them is, uh, you know, Barbara Bush was... Um, you know, she was a homemaker. She was. Uh, she didn't have a job outside the home. Um, you know, so many of our more recent first ladies, they've been well. They've had their own jobs and maybe their own, um, you know, businesses. But uh, but she was really a stay-at-home mom. She was like a, um, you know, a grandmother to Americans. A lot of people looked up to her. She did have her, you know, her social work and her. Um, her, uh, she did try and be a benefit to society. But I really think that they followed the example set by George and Martha Washington. And we'll even talk about Barbara, I think, in, uh, maybe in our next program as well. But anyway, it, it is unique that America has not only presidents and first ladies. But, but here, I think Martha and George Washington, you know, they, they really have a special or should have a special place in our hearts because George was America's first president and actually Martha was the first American first lady. So today I think what we want to do is we want to discuss George Washington and Martha Washington and the unique way they dealt with the rigors of, first, with the Revolutionary War. I know it's kind of a, it may not seem... uh, quite in line of what about what I've been talking about but I think it's I think you're going to really love this program um, they really worked together during the Revolutionary War and it's not really that well known in history that they did this so to help me do this I have called the 60 plus panel back into session and I think for right now all of you know what that is so uh, my sweet wife and compatriot in literature is back with me in the studio today. So welcome back, Deborah. Well, thank you. It's and good it's to be back. Finally, good to get you back to work. No, I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> she's always working. Uh, she does assist me even as I teach my classes. So I think I, uh, if you remember back to some previous programs, I believe I stated that um, you know I believe George Washington was prepared by God to. Uh, you know, to help found the greatest superpower on earth. But in addition today, what I want to add to that is I really, I really believe he prepared Martha to be his wonderful assistant. And uh, uh, God used this couple to lay an incredible foundation for America. Now, unfortunately, this nation is in rapid decline. I think we're all just shocked by what we see happening, um, you know, within the government. And uh, uh, we're just... Uh, upset about the way people want to, let's say, attack the office of the president. And, uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't want to attack the man, uh, but we should also respect his office. And, uh, you know, uh, the American president has had one of the greatest positions in the free world. 
I mean, it, it is an exalted position, and we should we should really respect that. And of course, a lot of people don't respect that anymore at all. Now, I really think we could use another George and Martha Washington today to really help us out of this. So, so I just wanted to to uh, again. I don't want to take the the effort away from my wife here because she's done some extra reading for us on Martha Washington. But the thing is, is what what is so important about George Washington being builder and architect? We talked about that last program. But but one thing I think we need to understand in terms of this vision he had for America is George Washington was one of the early fathers or maybe maybe one of the first fathers, we should say, that actually believed in the concept of manifest destiny. And he knew, he knew that, that America was something special. He knew that it was going to grow to be great, but he also knew that America had to expand. The colonies had to expand. And even Paul Johnson brings this out, and this is, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit to you from page 51. And uh, I think we've even mentioned this on the Ben Franklin programs, is that, that the, these men that came from England, like George Washington, the landed gentry, and of course Ben Franklin, he considered himself really an Englishman first and foremost. They never really wanted to, to uh, separate from England. But they also knew there was something very special about the American colonies. And they, I mean, I believe that they had a really good inkling that God had given this opportunity to them to found this great nation. Now, the details about how they understood that, I don't know. But I still believe that they did know. Now, here's what George Washington wrote in a letter um, Around 1774, this is before the the um, American Revolution started. It was right after the Seven Years' War. Of course, a lot of Americans know the Seven Years' War better as the French and Indian War. Um, you know that that sometimes the Seven Years' War is considered the first, you know, World War. Uh, of course, it, it it has no comparison with the First World War. You know, for for our modern age. But remember, the Seven Years' War was this conflict between Britain and France, and it really was uh, being played out on the continent, but then it also played out here in the Americas because both Britain and France had interest in you know, colonizing the Americas. But here's what George Washington wrote uh, to Captain Robert Mackenzie. He says, this is a quote, I think I can announce it as a fact that it is not the wish or interest of that government or any other upon the continent, separately or collectively, to set up for independency, I am well satisfied as I can be of my existence that no such thing is destined, is desired, excuse me, no such thing is desired by any thinking man in all North America. So he's saying, look, we're, we're, not, we're not interested in separating from England. But here's what... Uh, what Johnson says. Nevertheless, Washington was always clear in his mind that a high degree of self-government must be exercised by the colonies as indeed it had always been. And so so the, the point is, is what Washington and some of the other founding fathers recognized is that, that uh, you know, England, although they had the colonies, England was mostly interested in getting the wealth out of the colonies 
but but they didn't really spend a lot of time even coming to visit. I know George III, he's very famous for the Stamp Act and things like that. Um, but the point is, he never came and visited America, not once. And so they knew very little about it. Um, Johnson continues, like most other Americans, he saw the assertion of power by the British government after the end of the Seven Years' War as a usurpation, an innovation, a suppression of rights enjoyed by the colonies from the beginning. And so, so those are the things that really began to bug George Washington. He wasn't a rebel. He wasn't into revolt. You know, he didn't want to revolt against the government, but he did have this vision for America. And, uh, of course, uh, George III, um, after the Seven Years' War, he made this incredible decree that, um, uh, maybe I just better read it, it said, uh, the point was brought home to him. This is, uh, this is, again, this is Paul Johnson talking about George Washington. He says, the point was brought home to him again in striking fashion as early as October 1763 with George, which George, with George's Third's proclamation reserving all trans-Appalachian territories to the Indians. Now, if I had known this, I had forgotten about it. But essentially what George III was doing is he wanted to put a stranglehold and really he wanted to stop the American colonies from expanding. So what he said, they couldn't move into any Indian land. Well, that began to get uh, under the skin of George Washington because he he actually was very much into the land. He wanted to expand west, as uh, Johnson brings out. Now, Johnson calls it the devious side of Washington because uh, he was having his brother buy land in his brother's name for him. And so I don't really understand exactly what what uh, Johnson is saying there. But uh, but certainly, George Washington knew that the, the, uh, the, the, the real wealth and the real strength of America was going to come from expanding west. And I think there was a lot of other people, of course, uh, of course, James Monroe, uh, even Mr. Stephen Flurry was just talking about this on the Trumpet Daily recently, that James Monroe came out with the doctrine that, that no other country was going to have land in America. It was always going to be all American. So uh, what, um, let me just go on here, what um, Johnson goes on to say, he says, this royal decree struck directly at Washington's personal interest. You know, it, it had contracted an earlier proclamation of 1762 when the war was still raging, and he's talking about the Seven Years' War, which allocated free hundreds of thousands of acres of western lands to veterans of the war. So Britain had promised veterans, hey, you can, you can move west, and we're going to give you land if you support the Seven Years' War. And so they actually they began to renege on that. Now here's what Johnson says, and I want to get through this quickly. But I just want you to see, uh, listeners out there, that George Washington really had a big vision for America. And I believe that Martha joined with him in this. Uh, it goes on here, it says, There can be no doubt that for, but for the Revolutionary War, Washington would have become a major landowner in Trans-Appalachia. Few know more about it or had a stronger belief in its unlimited future. And his interest was not only merely personal, but national. 
He was an early believer in what was later defined as manifest destiny. Virginia's western frontier must eventually be the Pacific. Now that's big thinking. I mean, that's what, that's what he thought, the Virginia colony would expand all the way to the Pacific. He said the relish with which he used the word continental meant he saw colonies eventually encompassing all of North America. The king's decree, if enforced, made it impossible. And so, so that's what got, got uh, George Washington all excited and, of course, eventually brought him into the war. Now, uh, I just want to make one more point here. It says... Um, uh, it, it wasn't taxation, you know. Everybody talks about the Boston Tea Party, and they talk about you know the the rise of tax taxation. You know that was a factor in the Revolutionary War, but for George Washington and a few other ones, it was the denial of expansion that really bothered them. And so, so I just wanted to to uh, to bring that out as kind of like the cap sheet to. Uh, to the program that we just had, well, that you just heard last week. So, so the thing is, what I'm saying is when, when George Washington, he was willing then to take on England and all the bitter sacrifices it would require to make sure that America could continue to grow and expand. And, and I, th- I believe they knew that America was going to become a great nation. Now, um, if you look at the Revolutionary War, it was a long war. <laughs> it was eight years. Uh, we also know from history that George Washington lost many battles, but yet he won the war, and that was really important. Now, um, Patricia Brady's book, we mentioned this last, uh, well, several programs ago, and it's titled Martha Washington in American Life. I really highly recommend the book. I, I, I think it's great reading for you. Uh, it's really not that expensive. But but the point is, you know, Valley Forge, you know, I, I think Americans, I know when I think of Valley Forge, I think of cold, you know, winter weather, you know, the soldiers out in the snow with bleeding feet and freezing to death. But if you read uh, Patricia Brady's book, it was a little bit different than you think. And so, so my wife is. Uh, she th- she found this very fascinating. So we're going to start talking about this. But uh, how many of you out there really know that Martha Washington spent the winters at Valley Forge with George Washington? So, so I'm going to let you take over now, dear. So I've taken half the program. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> this is your program. <laughs> so yes, I thought it was. I found it very interesting because, um, like you say, I've. I mean, we had all of us grown up in America, we've, we've had the United States history and, you know, and it's always the pictures of the, of the, which is really true. It was really true that, that, that the soldiers, um, didn't have shoes. I mean, they, they were really under, they didn't have the provisions they should have had, but I didn't realize that, that wives went and helped, um, the officers at least. And so I just wanted to read a couple things here. Um, it just shows a little bit about what other people thought of her, of Martha Washington. Um, you know, we, we know that Lafayette um, came and 
helped with the Revolutionary War. He was actually uh, really became a good friend of George Washington. But he wrote this is something he wrote. And he, and he in, was French. Correct. He was French. Yes. Yes. Who, yes I'm sorry. Yes. Lafayette is yeah. was from France. Yes. You would know that because you speak French. Well, I thought most people knew that. Anyway, yeah. well, Lafayette wrote sorry, to it. Sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did know that. Excuse me. So, anyway, Lafayette wrote to his adoring wife, who probably would have swooned with delight at an invitation to join her husband. Several general officers have brought their wives to camp, and I am very envious, not of their wives, who are rather dull, but of the pleasure they have in being able to see them. General Washington has also just decided to send for his wife, a modest and respectable person who loves her husband madly. So, she did go. She arrived in Valley Forge, um... In February 1778, and um, it was the third year that she joined her husband to, to camp. And um, the American soldiers actually came to look for her arrival because it meant that the fighting was definitely over for the year. That was what was what was interesting is they would fight in the, in the the spring and summer and maybe a little bit into the fall and then they stopped you know during the winter so so maybe, they maybe they did. maybe that's why it took 8 years <clears throat> right <laughs> yes right <laughs> so anyway she she came and um it says here um lady washington was cheered by the troops when she made her annual appearance not the least excited of them was george washington who fretted for days before her arrival valley forge indelibly created the image of the nurturing commander's wife, who did all she could to relieve the soldiers' needs. She became a mother figure, marching Washington's patriarchal role, a pleasant, kind woman who visited the hospital and showed motherly care for the soldiers, sick and well. So, so she, it, it was, there was a lot of deprivation, and there, there were bloody footprints left in the snow, um, but she, her, she did help, you know, by being there, She and she helped... George and she helped other soldiers and um, she actually did a lot of of um, it sounds like like entertaining but it was she actually would would have dinners every night and the, the uh, officers would come to whatever kind of place they were staying in maybe some somebody's cabin or house or something like that and um, she would always manage to make it an enjoyable um, uh, time so they they did they did a lot of those things in in the winter and they and which is I thought was interesting. <laughs> I, I I guess I think that that obviously you know I have a picture of of Valley Forge just from paintings. You know I I think uh, there must have been cabins there because surely surely they wouldn't have just had her go out and camp. Right. Camp around a campfire. Right. They they had um, they had I guess they they get some kind of a house house for them and then for George and his wife. But then and they did actually build some uh, wooden barracks. Um, it says right here the men were housed in the wooden barracks. They had built their rags and tatters a joke as they huddled around roaring fires. At least there was plenty of wood in the valley and ample water. So so um, and they also got food from neighboring. Um, uh, says from neighboring farms as well. So, um, but it was it was still it was difficult and and um, but Martha, you know, was able to to spend time with George even though it was a difficult situation. He tried to make it as comfortable comfortable for her as possible, and she was trying to make it comfortable for him too. So right. they they would try to help each other that way. 
And so, so how many years again was it then that that she spent? At well, it says, I think in the book says it says that out of the eight years, I think she spent about five. It says out of those eight and a half years that he spent in command of the army, she was with him for nearly five, more than half the war, in stays ranging from three to ten months. Martha was truly the secret weapon of the American Revolution. Wow. So, yes. So. I, I don't think that really comes out very much in the in the history books. No. I mean, it says different. He, he even says different places um, um, that uh, so it was something about that he— George Washington even even um, was con- even considered uh, the money spent to bring her there. It, it, you know, he he just because he was really concerned about the money, and so he only wanted his expenses paid, and he wasn't sure if he should should ask for expenses for her as well because he thought it was too personal. Um, it was a personal expense, and he tried he actually used some of his own money, but it, then he realized that she was very important, and so he did uh, expense her. Um, her trips, you know, and coming to help him as well. I think it's a, I think it's really kind of um, amazing. Again, let's get back to Barbara Bush and uh, and George Herbert Walker Bush. I mean, it, it's it sounds like and uh, some of the things and it looks like we're going to probably run out of time for this program. We'll have to come back to some more. But it seems like she had that same quality that Martha did. That they she was like the mother to the troops. And and the, the thing is, she was probably not that much older than any of them, but she just had that that ability to to take care of someone and to take care of the soldiers. So I think a lot of people out there uh, that are listening are going to find it interesting that she spent so much time at Valley Forge. I mean, you never hear that. It's yeah. always about the soldiers. And then, of course, I, even the paintings in my mind, I see that. You know, the horses look bad. They get their heads hanging. You know, everybody's drooping. But it sounds like she she added some life to the place. Yes, and it wasn't always just Valley Forge. There were other areas where they were for the winter. But it was wherever wherever it was for the winter. Is um, and she would every it says somewhere I forget where it is, but every fall she would she would kind of hope that maybe the English should be gone by now. But nope, nope. they weren't gone. So she, okay, she had to pack up. Because she'd go home in the summer, and then she'd pack up to go back out wherever he wherever he yeah. was in the winter. So, so what she did is when she went back home for the summer, she went back to work the lands. Right. And yes. so, so uh, she obviously was was very much a working wife and a working. Uh, well, I guess at that point he wasn't president yet, but he was the the leading military general. So she was wife of the general. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we will bring back the 60-plus panel to discuss Martha and George as America's first president and first lady. So remember, our third and final book in this series is Hero, The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. You can buy the Lawrence of Arabia book at Amazon.com. You can also find a good used copy at abebooks.com. Of course, you can also check your local library. Please write me any comments you may have to JBL at PCOG.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So, until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com